are recording. Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and starting open source projects. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. This is episode 345. So, I have an update to a project that uh, finished. You know, last week we're talking about our projects ever finished. The answer for this, this one, one is... This one got, was finished. Like, this, was this finished. one was actually finished in like a reasonable amount of time, too. This was finished, but now the book opened back up. Oh, okay. But, well, well, what's the project? All right, so this is uh, the pool shark for my dad. It, it, so it's a it's a pool cleaner. It's like this little thing that just like goes around the bottom of the pool and scrubs the bottom and sucks up stuff. Um, long, long, long time ago, the uh, motor driver bit the dust on it. I took it all apart, um, pulled the motor, the the sealed unserviceable box in quotes out of it, cracked it open, pulled the circuit board out. Replace some of the components. I think it was like a capacitor and then the motor controller. Um, placed those two, glued it all back together, and then said, and that was like four, put it back in service. Yeah, that was like three or four years ago at this point. Been working fine. Um, well, my dad comes into town last week and he's like, and he brought the shark. He's like, it's not working anymore. And I'm like, oh, oh. man. Um, but it was a diff- completely different problem. The cable that connects like the power brick thingy that goes on the like, side of your pool to, to it, the pool shark, had fallen apart somewhere in the wire. Mm-hmm. Like where it goes into the machine. So like the strain relief inside failed basically. Um, and so just spent about an afternoon... Uh, a couple days ago, just fixing that and uh, get that all back in rubber. And it's it's cleaning the pool once again. Oh, not, so like, it was a re- it was a quick fix. Yeah, for all the cost of a couple of inches of leaded solder and heat shrink. <laughs> Basically, just Actually, remade the strain relief and and I, I like oh, and I guess the cable is now like six inches shorter. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I don't know if we've mentioned much on the podcast. A project is you can finish a project, but there's always maintenance after that. So keep yeah. that in mind. If you never finish a project, you don't have maintenance on that project. That's true. <laughs> like in last week, I was I was I was talking about uh, recalibrating my CNC, and I've been doing quite a bit of work to get it in. And you know, anytime you have a project or a tool or something like that that is a little bit more complex, it ends up being a time suck because you have to maintain, you have to keep it up to date, and you have to really stay on top of it. it like if I let my CNC sit, like the last time I let it sit for about a year, you can't just come back to it and it and it's perfect, you know? Yeah. It, sure, it fires up, but you got kind of got to check everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Pool Shark back up and running so that's that's good that saved you know man one of those pool cleaners is like 800 to a thousand dollars yeah they're not cheap yeah so just saving uh fixing the heat shrink a bit um but i'm just surprised like it's just still running like it's still like the the initial repair 
still works. Like that yeah, because you resoldered the driver IC, right? Yeah, I had to pull that driver IC off and put a new one on because it was like yeah. cracked for some reason. <laughs> Maybe it overheated. Yeah, I bet you. I bet you. Well, there was a capacitor that had swollen, and so the theory was that the capacitor was going and then caused the voltage to like fluctuate too much or something like that, spike too much maybe, and then blew up the motor controller. That's the theory. <clears throat> you know, actually, I, 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 I'm curious. Sorry, you got something more to say about no. that? No. Nah. nah. Uh, okay, so I, I, I had something happen the last week that I'm curious uh, somebody's thoughts on it, uh, anyone out there, if, if you have an idea on what this is. So the heating element in my dryer bit the dust. Uh, I've, I've, I've been at enough apartments and I've lived in enough places that have dryers to know that uh, heating elements occasionally go uh, bad. You can accelerate how fast they go if you don't clean out your lint trap and if you don't have a good... Um, if, if if it's clogged, if the uh, exhaust, exhaust is clogged on your dryer, but uh, but in general, like that's sort of a consumable part. It shouldn't go very often, but it does, right? So I've replaced them before. No no big deal. So I my my dryer wasn't getting hot, so I was like, okay, great. I'll I'll replace my my uh, heating element. And my particular unit has a heating element, but it has a giant shroud that goes over the heating element. And on that shroud is where the thermal fuse and and the other uh, uh, devices are on that. So I was like, you know what? This is this drives a little bit old. I'll just replace the entire unit. So I bought the unit that has everything on it such a, so that I could just pull out the old one, slide the new one in, and, and go. I, I put the new one in. I do a, a load of laundry, and it, it was fine. So I tell my wife, I was like, okay, great. D- dryer's back up and running. I wake up the next morning, go to work, and I get a text, dryer's not getting hot. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, I did one load on this new... So I come home... Uh, uh, pull it all apart and find that the thermal fuse had popped on the new unit and one of the wires that was going to it like sheared and and I'm yeah I'm raising an eyebrow I was like okay that that's that's odd on a brand new thing so I ended up just what's funny is when I bought this new unit it came with a, a replacement thermal fuse so I just put the new thermal fuse on it I put a new quick disconnect crimp on that wire that sheared and fired up. It's been running great. And I checked. My dryer wasn't clogged. I'm getting plenty of airflow in and out. My lint trap is fine. Like, there's no indicators as to why something would go wrong. I'm I'm curious if anyone else, if anyone has any like, oh, well, that happens because X, Y, Z. Because I just can't explain it. A brand new unit fails like basically right away. Replace it, runs great. Or just replace the thermal fuse. It runs great. I, I'm going to bet you... So did you use the old thermal fuse? No, I had a brand... Like, I bought the new unit. It had yeah, a thermal yeah. fuse on it, and it came up with a replacement. So oh. I used that secondary replacement. Inter- so, so maybe it was just an, an early failure. I just got a lemon. I don't know. It, 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 so remember when I, read, I worked on my Red Jeep's uh, HVAC system, and mm-hmm. the knob had the wrong offset resistor in it. Yeah. Yeah. That is becoming, well, with all the weird supply chain stuff and all this crazy stuff that's happening with like the shutdowns in China still, uh, there, there, there no COVID policy over there. 
I we I think that's what we're seeing is like this stop go supply chain of like parts being made, and I bet you that thermal fuse was just badly made the original one. And it's funny that it came with a spare, and I wonder if that supplier knew that that maybe that a bulk of those are bad, and so they just threw another one in. Well, and and I did not test the thermal fuse before I put it in the in the dryer. Well, it did uh, work although once it did work one time, I I yeah. did forty minutes worth of drying and it was hot. It was fine. So, you know, I wrote it off as project done. Um, but so yeah, there's it's, at the same time there's that like I said there was that sheared wire. It basically the, there's a there's a wire that has a quick disconnect that connects to a terminal that's right mm-hmm. on the back of the thermal fuse, right at the body of the quick disconnect. The wire broke right there. Is it bad possible? Crimp. Well, yeah, bad crimp. Is it potentially possible that the wire was just broken enough and it made contact a few times and that caused a surge through the fuse that broke the fuse? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, try, I'm grasping current. at straws at this point. Yeah. It could have yeah. increased the current. If it's, it could have. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the uh, controller in the thing was trying to increase to get the temperature right. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it just like throws a big old relay that that thing <laughs> I'm on. I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, I don't I don't think I have that fancy of a drive. Yeah, I don't think it has a PID loop for for a heater like that. Yeah, it has two um, modes, hot and not hot. Yeah. Hot and off. And, well, I guess I ha- I guess it has a, a third mode which is uh fuse is blown. Like oh, yeah. that's that's like a Tri-state. catastrophic mode. Tri-state. Yeah. <laughs> off on and none. So, so I don't know if if anyone has any like if anyone knows why that could have happened, I don't know. It's it's working fine now though, but but maybe go. maybe you're right, Parker. Maybe like quality has just gone to, to garbage. It definitely. I'll put it. It definitely has. Like especially for stuff like that, mm-hmm. like off brand replacement parts, are like, well at least automotive is like a shot in the dark whether or not you get a good part or not. Yeah, and this was just a replacement from some seller on Amazon. So yeah, yeah. My favorite is the uh, what does someone? I don't remember who said this, but it's the the alphabet soup sellers on Amazon. <laughs> We've kind of made that joke. Uh, we're like, like it just looks like a cat walked on the keyboard is the seller name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking. <laughs> In fact. I just bought a bit for my CNC the other day yeah. for, off of Amazon. It shows up. The sticker on on the bag that the bit is, is in, yeah. the sticker says quarter-inch shank, quarter-inch cutting, one flute, and then you flip the bag over. It wasn't even close to that bit, what actually <laughs> shipped. Like... I could understand if you if you just put the wrong thing in the bag, but like it was even labeled in the bag incorrectly. Which Dang. is annoying. So, and yeah. it was from an alphabet soup seller. Yeah. All right. So let's do some industry news. <laughs> some real topics. <laughs> yeah, real topics for once. Um, so this is, I think, two weeks old at this point, but um, we got some stuff to talk about, I guess. Uh, Wolf Speed Fab for North Carolina is latest on Chips Act list. Biden says Wolf Speed Fab for North Carolina. Uh, this was a Fierce Electronics uh, 
article um, kind of just covering like uh, this new CHIPS Act, which is the uh, U.S. federal government giving money to chip manufacturers here in the United States to build new fabs. And the reason why we want to cover this is for a while it was only like into like the bigger players, I guess. I'm not to say Wolf Street's small or not, um, but the it was like Intel was like the big person taking money from the Chips Act, which is great, except that Intel isn't building the parts that we need here on the podcast. They're not building the microcontrollers, not building the MOSFETs, they're not building the low-end sensors that we all need. It, everyone that's listening to this podcast knows this. Like, we're not buying, we're not putting an i7 Intel CPU, you know, controlling your cat feeder on reminder. <laughs> um, or in your pool shark. <laughs> right, right. So what's interesting about this article, though, is it covers some of the other stuff about the Chips Act, um, stuff that I didn't know about. And so supposedly the Chips Act is going to increase domestic manufacturing. We'll see if this does this. It's expected to increase domestic manufacturing jobs by 668,000 jobs, which that's a lot. And actually, my first thought was like, do we have enough people for that? Like that's a lot oh, of pe- that's a lot of high skilled laborers, laborers. Yeah, like right. Yeah, it is. And the answer is maybe we do. <laughs> it sounds a bit wishful. I mean, that's a huge number. Well, that's specifically like, for this industry. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have enough. If you act, if you look at the unemployment numbers, the raw unemployment numbers here in the United States, we do have enough people, but it's not broken down by. Like we're gonna to have to train people to for these jobs. There's there's no six hundred sixty eight thousand unemployed chip manufacturer like skilled laborers. So we're gonna to have to definitely train people for these jobs. Um, but one thing I wanted to get into was what technology also is like. Was is this Wolf Speed Fab going to do? Um, so basically, Wolf Speed is going to expand what their their current fab. So whatever they're currently doing, there's going to be adding more capability capacity basically um and uh so we we actually started going down the list of like what the chip act is going to what's it currently enabling to like what what are we going to get out of this how much is it like a billion something dollars oh 50 something billion dollars oh 52 52 billion dollars okay 52 billion (laughs) dollars what are we going to get out of it so far yeah. Um, so we got the latest hot list of cool chip fabs coming to the United States. I think you wrote that <laughs> <laughs> like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, tasty chip fabs. Yeah. So the first one is uh, Global Foundries is going to expand and build new factories here in the United States. Um, and they build from 180 nanometer down to 12 nanometer, which is perfect. That's like the well, the almost like the entire range, right? Yeah, and in particular, I think this is uh, in New York, I believe. Global Foundries, yeah, I think it's upstate yeah. New York. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, 180 nanometer down to 12 nanometer, which is 
perfect range for what we're talking about. Yeah, so they can basically, that fab can basically build anything that we need in terms of microcontrollers, MOSFETs, etc. Um, now, it might not be geared towards some of those fields, but they have the technology to build it. Um, Intel is building three new fabs in Ohio, New Mexico, and Arizona. and th But those are going to be like the smaller scale, like seven to five. Uh, scale range. Uh, Micron is expanding, and Micron builds memory chips, so that's good. We need memory, because um, I don't think we build a lot here in the United States. Uh, Samsung is building a fab, but I couldn't really find what Samsung is going to do, except I think there's like a marketing thing that just says high-end computing. They're not really letting people know what they're going to build there. Um, so high-end computing question mark, like what does what's high-end computing? I guess like chipsets is what Samsung would build. Yeah, like stuff that goes in TVs, high speed, like all in one package, high speed stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna guess that's what that means. Do we know um, where that's going to be? Samsung one? No. Yeah. At least I didn't find it a couple weeks ago. Wow. Okay, so Samsung apparently is working on three nanometer node, uh, which was supposed to release this year, and they're looking at two nanometer by twenty twenty five. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. Two nanometer. Uh, yeah, Samsung a new seventeen billion dollar fab in the USA by late twenty twenty three. Oh, so they were building that thing before this Chips Act then. Yeah, and that's that's outside of um, Austin. Okay. Um, then there's Texas Instruments, who is going to build more factories and expand current factories here in Texas. And most of their... So, they're also not saying what they're using it to build it for, but... Yeah, the promotional um, stuff is just like... Uh, a bunch of like stock photos of, yeah. of stuff going by. And, so, and not saying what they're going to use the new expanded capacity for, but I did find an article that Texas Instruments put out that says it's going to complement other factories already here in Texas, which pretty much means 45 nanometer-ish and analog embedded system stuff, which is great. That's like perfect. That's that is what everyone here wants. Yep. 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 Music to my yes. ears. Um, TSMC is going to build a five nanometer plant, uh, so that's going to make. They're already like, building that. Yeah, so that's going to build your like graphics card high end chips. Um, there's probably one or two people super excited for that that listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's all, I think I think all of us appreciate that, but uh, that's not necessarily what we all deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Wolf Speed, which we started this whole like research topic about, um, apparently has the world's largest silicon carbide manufacturing facility, which is kind of insane. Um, but so they also don't really say what technologies they build towards, except for there's like this one blurb that we found, which is. Um, Higher power devices with higher voltage capabilities due to larger band gaps, which means MOSFETs, yeah. I think. That, that, yeah, 
it's a lot of things. It's uh, RF transistors and uh, high voltage, high power transistors that use silicon carbide as yeah. their basis. So you know your, your your high voltage stuff that can that can chug along fast yeah. and hot. Yeah, so that's also good. Like we need those for motor controllers and that kind of stuff. Stuff that like the whole uh, electric vehicle market is just like eating up um, from the supply. So they will be able to supply a lot of those parts. And their their wolf speed is like Global Foundries and TSMC, uh, where they're like a um, they're a third party. Like you come to them with a design and they they figure out how to make it. Global Foundries is, uh, you know, in in all this research, I I visited most of these websites. Global Foundries is the most, uh, I guess, friendly in terms of go to their website and it's like, would you like to make chips kind of thing? Oh, (laughs) oh, go here and and figure it out. Whereas everyone else is is just like a whole bunch of marketing blurbs and you kind of have to just start a conversation with them to figure it out. Global Foundries makes it more obvious that, uh, yeah, that yeah. Gold Foundries is like we can build this. Here's a huge list we, of what yeah. we can build. We make things for you. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's interesting. It, it, I'm, I'm. After doing this research a couple weeks, because I when the F- Chips Act first came out a couple months ago, um, because at the time it was only like Intel, right. And the and it was like it was like Intel and TSMC were like the I was first about to, yeah TSMC is making already. was like the first two that like got signed on to it and Steve and I were a little harsh on it just from the fact that it wasn't going to help the supply chain at all like none of the stuff those parts those two companies make help us make products for com- uh, consumer goods and stuff like that which is what the industry is hurting on right now. But um, now we got some other fabs coming online that are actually going to be building those parts. Um, well, you, you know, give, given how monumental it is to start a foundry, I'm sure a lot of this stuff was already in planning and the Chips Act is just like, great, this is going to make it easier on us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I agree there. Some of them, though, like probably Wolf Speed and global foundries because both of those are like expansions i guess texas instruments too are expansions which is so it's probably more of like hey we already have a facility let's just double the facility now because i remember what was it back in was it 2018 when was the cmos uh shortage oh uh are you talking about the the cmos like memory shortage no, it was just a CMOS. It was just it was CMOS technology shortage. Was that seventeen? Oh. Ceramic capacitor was like eighteen, right? Ceramic capacitor was eighteen. Yeah. So this was like twenty seventeen, um, and uh, basically like all the glue logic parts on boards, like you <laughs> couldn't get. And Texas Instruments basically just flat out said like we're not building new fabs because it's not worth it. Hmm. But now, now someone's footing the bill for them. So, well, everyone, everyone in the United States is footing the bill for them to build a factory. Yeah, forty-five nanometer analog and embedded electronics from Texas Instruments. That's awesome. Yeah, like that's like you said, that's what we're all chomping at the bit for right now. Yeah, we'll see. 
Like the uh, we'll revisit this in a couple the, years. <laughs> wasn't it the brake controllers on Ford F one fifties? That's what was holding them up. It was something along those lines. Brake controllers. Which is, yeah, which is not some kind of like hardcore multimedia processor that goes in in your your dash or something like that. Even though like yeah, sure, the margins on a chip like that might be better and are, and it's flashier and it's cooler to sell. Like we need the brake controllers. That's sort of what we're getting at here not yeah. sort of that is what we're getting at so let's uh let's revi- let's take another six months off of this topic so like <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> next beginning of next year we'll bring this topic up again and see, see where, where we're, at. we're at yeah be interesting can't go fast enough with this kind of stuff right no can't <laughs> okay so uh, maybe you know, or maybe you don't. Well, actually, gosh, it was probably what a month, no, two months ago, maybe now, maybe not even that long that we had Cody on from Macrofab as mm-hmm. um, he's the uh, what procurement manager of some. I, I don't remember the exact title, but he deals a lot with supply chain issues. We'll have to have him on again uh, in the next few months. But uh, just from your side, Parker, how, are you seeing things? change a bit are they are they lightening up or or are you seeing light at the end of the tunnel in other words no light at the end of the tunnel it's like it it picks and chooses what is out of stock and what's in stock at one time um can yeah this is gonna be interesting is i'm going to go to digikey right now I'm going to see if a part is in stock. Because I know a couple days ago it was. This is not, well, what, from, the, this is not from the topic from last week. I'm looking up if uh, Sam D21s are in stock. Oh, those are your babies. Well, not my babies. I'm just, this is a good indicator. <laughs> <laughs> Anything STM is in stock. <laughs> so there are... Um, it was Friday last week. There was 12,000. And so last time DigiKey got them in stock, they were gone in like, honestly, a couple hours. Um, they actually have 102 left in stock, so it's taking longer. Oh, that's that's a good sign. Right? Or just consumption's gone down. Because I've actually, I was noticing some people on... Um, on Twitter, um, I think that's a great indicator, right? Social media, but um, <laughs> they are these are smaller, like electronic designers, I guess, um, similar to like you and I, like, but they sell like on Tindy and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that completely drop out of making stuff because they just can't get parts. I don't know if that's how much that's affecting that this that. That AT Sam D like having 102 instead of zero. Um, but it, it can't have a negative effect, right? Man, <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll tell you, DigiKey saved our bacon this week or end of last week. Uh, we have a project or a product that we're manufacturing right now that for, oh gosh months 
now? Yeah, months. We've been searching for a particular deck that it, it's it, we need this one deck because it just works with our product mm-hmm. well. And there's four of them per unit, and we're trying to sell 600 units, so it adds up really, really quickly. Well, we've 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 gotten to the point where we're 200 short on this deck uh, for, to to finish the entire product, and it's just that's 50 units, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's a lot. They've been out of stock everywhere forever, and just randomly, Friday of last week, we pulled it up. They had like 200 and. 40 or something like that at DigiKey. So we snagged them up right away. It's just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Now, like, there's no, the product's going to be fine. It, it, it would have been fine before, but I mean, we were getting to the point where I was cannibalizing old products to, yeah, to get parts, like pull DAX off of stuff, uh, which I don't like doing. I'd rather place them correctly Fresh. the first time with yeah. the pick and place, you know, uh, because everything I've cannibalized has already been through the oven once. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm starting to see things like that happen more often. Like, if you talked to me six months ago or even a year ago, I, if something was out of stock and it said, you know, not we're not getting it until, you know, end of 2022, I would believe them. Now when stuff is out of stock and they give dates... I don't believe the dates as much because I've been having more experience where things are starting to come in stock before mm-hmm. when they tell me it is. It's it's still random, but it, it's it, things are getting more available. Yeah, and it looks like I'm looking at Microchips Direct, which has better estimates on like lead time and stuff. Yeah. Um, so for our SAMD21 chip uh, example... February 2023 is their next big shipment. Okay. That's and what do you mean by big? 100K. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which the industry will probably probably use all of it. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're going to om-nom that real fast. Yeah. That would be, be gone fast. <laughs> you better jump on that. Interesting. If you're not already in line. Oh, yeah. If you, yeah. It's still one of those just got to get in line. Um, mm-hmm. if you want to produce stuff, cause you can get the product. It's just, you got to get in line. And when your turn comes up, you, you fork over the money. So hopefully it gets better. It, it, it is slowly getting better. It's not fast. Not, it's never going to be a fast turnaround though. Like it's going to take time for the whole economy, to, not economy, the whole supply chain to recover. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess we'll have Cody on sometime to talk about it some more. Should be maybe maybe, maybe later this year, like end of next month or something like that. Yeah, we try to have him on every, every few quarter. months, right? Yeah, yeah. every quarter yeah. I want him on. Right. So. Okay. okay. Very cool. Next topic. Um, so I've, I found something a few years ago, not a few years ago, a few months ago that uh, I thought was fun, and I've. I've had it in the in the list to talk about. I just thought it would be uh, it'd be fun to to uh, let everyone know about it. There is a new Reddit topic, new as in a few months old. That's called Failure Friday, and it's basically it's mostly engineers, but there's there's a handful of other stuff. And uh, gosh, I found it through I think the ECE subreddit, uh, but it's called Failure Friday, and 
the uh, the tagline at the top says break something at the office this week we want to hear about it and it's i actually think that this is really therapeutic i'm not just bringing it up because it's funny it is most of the time but uh i think if you make a mistake at work it's really healthy to talk about it as opposed to going into like a dark place in your head and beating yourself up about it. It's fun to go to a place like this and just let everyone know that, you know, once again, we all know it, but it's still nice to know like we're all human. We make mistakes. You can present your mistakes and you can hear other people's mistakes and, uh, and just kind of, you know, take a little bit of solace that uh, things happen, you know? So, so in, in one of the weeks uh, I saw, <laughs> I pulled a few things that I thought were funny, a few failures that were out. I'll just throw them up here and I'll throw one of mine out there as well. Uh, so somebody build the, just the wrong phase of a product that week. They, they just like straight up grabbed the wrong thing and build an entire customer, the whole wrong phase for something, no, no. which that's, you know, like maybe not so minor could be, absolutely major right could be something massive could and, be a million uh, bucks could be, or more right yeah. uh, and it could be really embarrassing it could also be really embarrassing if they just pressed pay and just like <laughs> went through with it yeah uh the uh somebody else said uh, dry air means static buildup i didn't think my three volt test circuit appreciated being the path to ground so <laughs> just straight up destroyed their circuit uh, someone else ran over a 3d printer with a forklift. That's, that's always just like, Oh, come on. <laughs> this one. I love this one. Cause like, it's so ridiculous, but it happened to somebody. They said they saw a customer supply a, and they have in quotes, a napkin sketch that stated 12 feet by 12 inches. The, uh, the engineer read that as 12 inches by 12 inches and cut to that size when the customer actually wanted 12 feet by 12 inches. Ooh. Yeah, that, that one. That's like, uh, that's like Stonehenge in, uh, in uh, Spinal Tap, right? Spinal Tap, <laughs> yeah. Is this the model? No, this is the real thing. This is the real thing. <laughs> the fact yeah, that so in, apparently in, the customer is not happy. Yeah, the fact that in that movie, though, they, in, they just used it anyways... Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just drop it down onto the stage. Yeah, God, that movie's amazing. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, so okay, I'll, I'll go check out Failure Friday. I've been, I've been. What, where, at where is this at? Uh, let me, let me find the link. We'll put it in the show notes. Like I said, I think it was part of ECE, but I will go look for it. Uh, so yeah, the the other week, I in fact, it's funny because I called this Sparky Sparky Boom Boom was my note to myself, and then I forgot what went Sparky Sparky Boom Boom. So for weeks, I was like, I can't talk about this because I don't remember what went Sparky Sparky Boom Boom. <laughs> what went bad but, for you? But earlier today, a new bad was, thing happened. I was thinking, no, no, no. Failure. Earlier today, I was thinking about. It, I was like, I remember what Sparky Sparky Boom Boom was. So uh, in one of my prototypes that I've been working on. Um, I washed it and and did like a full-on water wash with it. Uh, it was actually simple green. It was water wash and it was alcohol because I was just trying to get rid of a bunch of cruddy flux that was all over my board. And I was intending to take pictures of the board, so I wanted it to look pristine. So I do a full wash and I did an entire dry cycle on this board. But I have two, no, three board mounted fuses that are on 
the uh, on the on the board, and they're they're plastic fuse holders that have a flat bottom. And apparently, water loves to get underneath these fuse holders and not dry out. So I end up hooking this up to mains, and it just went ballistic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, no. it just there was it, there. It was a good fireworks show going on, um, and it actually ended up carbonizing the board, and there was like a glowing spot in the board. Uh, and this was actually on the high voltage rail, which was three hundred and eighty volts or something like that. Uh, Oh, and and it just completely carbonized the board. So I ended up having to take a Dremel to the board, Dremel out that area, and then reapply solder mask and run a jumper wire. And what and it's fine now. Everything is uh, everything is great. But it's just one of those things where it's like you do something a hundred times, and that doesn't necessarily mean that one hundred and one will be perfect. I've watched boards so many times, and just this fuse holder for whatever reason. I Just guess a lot of surface tension underneath it and yeah. it was surface tension underneath a high voltage rail that had a ground plane that so funny enough, the ground plane has a, has plenty of clearance on it, but this is at least a test that my clearances are work fine for most situations, but they don't work in a fully wet <laughs> situation yeah. uh, with, <laughs> with solder mask applied. So, so that was my failure Friday. Luckily, it didn't like it wasn't like a customer thing. It was like my own personal prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let oh, me, man. yeah, let now me find I've the link, and we'll have that. And now I've got to come up with one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your failure Friday? Um. Oh, it's part. It's not part of ECE. It's part of um, R slash Ask Engineers. Oh, okay. Is, is is it? So I will post up a, a link to it. Oh, man. I think the most recent, like, biggest mess up, I guess. Um, I was trying to remove this. Uh, that was a while ago, but it's a good one, I guess. I was removing lug nuts off the checker when I first uh, checker marathon um, I bought a couple years ago and on this is on the driver's side and I could not um, like get the lug nut off and uh, so I went and got my impact gun and you know the car is like 60 plus years old so I'm like oh it's just rusted get the impact gun put the, the gun on it and pull the trigger and it just sheared the lug in half and oh. the bolt off and I'm like, that's weird. And I did it three more times. <laughs> the, the and I was like, that's really weird because I've never that's usually weird. All the driver's side are left-handed thread. What? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, they're left-handed thread instead of normal right-handed uh, thread. All how'd you around. get them all out? Um, I just reverse. I just used the impact gun and you know forward motion oh okay gotcha. and it was able to back the rest of them off and i replaced all the lugs on that with right hand threads because it's not a commercial vehicle that because some like big trucks will have left hand threads but yeah there was a period of time where people thought lug nuts would back off if on the driver's side if there were right hand thread yeah there was a short period of time there um, <laughs> a short bit. but yeah, I sheared three of them 
just cleanly just right just twisted them right off <laughs> so if you see a lug a, a, a lug nut that has an l on it it means left hand thread <laughs> go figure right go figure but it just didn't, it never crossed my mind at all right Sure. Yeah, and then you, until you shear it, right? Well, that was it's what you were saying. I've removed lug nuts off cars thousands of times. This is the first time I've ever had left-hand thread lug nuts. Okay, quick, quick little blurb about left-hand thread. Anything. The fact that I'm aware that left-hand threads exist, they're they're rare, right? They're rare. Mm-hmm but they do exist. It screws me all the time because like I'll, I'll be working on a thing and I'm like, man, this is really tight. Is this the one possibility that it's <laughs> a left hand thread? Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, like it's annoying. Cause like your odds are so good that it is not left hand. Yeah. But Parker made the mistake. I made right? that mistake. You made. Yeah. Well, That's I just, annoying. I guess I just ran. I guess I could have taken a better because it was, it was dark ish like i was working with just lights on <laughs> i was scared <laughs> i was scared um and uh no because it was like you know nine o'clock at night uh so it was past dusk i guess and uh i didn't see the l on the look maybe if i saw that first i would have thought but it didn't even cross my mind now you're talking about left hand like are rare I think the only other left-hand thread that I have, of my knowledge, in my garage, is I have a death wheel cutter. You know, like a a, a cutoff wheel. You know, uses like a three and a half inch wheel. Mm. But it's a but the uh, what do you call it? the body of it? I guess the tool itself. I guess it's reversible. So you can spin the death wheel one way and then you can turn it and you can flip a switch and turn it the other way, which is great for like when you don't want to throw sparks into your face, you can like reverse the direction and it throws the sparks the other way. It's awesome. Yeah. Except that it has three different threads on it to make sure it doesn't fly off when you switch directions. <laughs> so it's got like a it's got That's like annoying. A, yeah, so it's got like two nuts that are counter rotated so one's left hand and one's right hand and then so a, a jam nut yeah but like counter rotating jam nuts and huh. then there's a screw that's left hand thread that goes through the whole thing to make sure it doesn't come apart at all so it's I like mean, so it's it's righty loosey to remove the screw then lefty loosey to remove the next one and then the next one's righty loosey righty loosey oh that that messes so whenever i have to replace that wheel i'm like how does this go how does this go again (laughs) (laughs) oh that's brutal i like that tool though because the fact that you can just reverse it and just throw the spark somewhere else like not on you it's great uh so this just came to mind I have one more failure Friday that uh, is not related to my personal work, but my like day job. This this is a fun one. Luckily, it could have been really really bad, but it ended up being okay. It still is a failure. 
So uh, we we have a, a database system that we use for tracking failures, uh, failure units, where our quality team and our testing team, if they ever come across a failure unit when when doing calibration or testing or anything, they can fill out an entire. We have a we have a digital form that they fill out and mm-hmm. it automatically goes into the database. Blah blah blah. Pretty pretty normal stuff. Uh, well, we. Um, the quality manager came up to me one day and, and she was, um, we were both walking through this quality form and we realized that some of the fields on the form, we didn't need those fields. Uh, and it was causing some hangups for our operators that the fields existed. So we just made the decision. It was like, okay, so we can just remove those fields uh, such that it's easier for the, uh, the operators to fill things out. Well, one of the things I was not aware of is that if you remove the item from the field, it deletes all of the uh, that information from now to the beginning of time from the database for all of everything. Oh, no. And so we deleted a few fields from the form and deleted like gobs of data from oh, our database. No. And I just wasn't aware of that. I, uh, I, I thought that the form itself was its own thing. Yeah, I thought it was its own thing. If you deleted that field, it just would no longer populate those fields. No, you delete that field, it gets rid of everything. So including customer RMAs. So it was getting rid of current customer RMAs and old customer RMAs. We catch it three days later uh, because our, our guy who's actually in charge of RMAs was like, I can't find any of my data anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Luckily, it was uh, it was not too bad because we caught it soon enough and we were able to roll the database back. But that feels like a that feels like a uh, like a like a pretty bad user interface option where if you delete a field on a form that inserts information into a database, it kills the database. Yeah, like, and it doesn't tell you it's going to do that. that I was, know what this is. It's Airtable. It's Airtable. Yeah, because I've had that happen to me. (laughs) Yeah, you did it too. You did it too, right? I've had that exact thing happen to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. But I mean, we had a few thousand points of data on very important things that I just. The good thing is Airtable snapshots everything, so it's like you click a button, you get it all back. We we get it all back, so it wasn't too bad, but it could have been terrible. Yeah, it could have been awful. Yeah. 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 Oh man. All right. I guess I need to have one more then too. This one's quick though. (laughs) Um, okay, I I wrote some code to generate serial numbers, and part of the serial number has a date code in it, and uh, the date code's like on day of the week. And so when I wrote it all and tested everything, it was all fine. Um, move it to production, and it's been fine for a long time, no problems. Um, until we did a Sunday shift. And for some reason, it generated a serial number that was one digit too long. Oh. And looking, and I'm like, why? And the great thing is it caught it. Because, like, everything downstream is looking for the serial number. Like, it screens it. So it's like, oh, that's too many digits. That's not a serial number, right? So it caught the units before they went out. But it was like, what's going on here? And... When I was doing the uh, date code calculation, um, the format that the customer wanted is not ISO standard for date codes. It's their own custom thing. And 
I wrote when I wrote it, I just took the ISO standard and went plus two because that that matched up. Except when you got to Sunday, it would instead of Sunday, it should be a, a uh, it should have rolled over uh, to a one. Instead, it was an eight, which is oh. which is one too many hex characters because it was supposed to be only three bits for that for the day of the week, and then it, and on Sunday it was four. <laughs> so that oh, was that funny. was a fun one to be like what is going on here yeah because for a while i was like it was only like a small number would pop up and we we're like well it's probably some weird thing not worry about it and then when the sunday shifts kicked up is when we saw a lot of it and we i'm like what is going on like why are we getting all these wrong serial numbers and uh, uh, then I started looking at like the created dates, and they all they were all created on one day. I'm like, that that's the key. That's, that's the that's only it. thing that's different. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Fun times. Ah, the great thing, failure so, I'm like, Friday. Yep. And I have like, okay, now I got to write a whole new script to fix all those date codes <laughs> and reprint <laughs> labels. Yep. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Were, were okay. they all like stored somewhere? Oh yeah, everything's all the data stored and stuff. Well, I mean, did you have to go back and fix all of that stored data too? Yeah, but I made the script do that automatically. Oh, okay, it does both. Yeah, so like you would scan in the bad serial number and go, okay, it should be this. Recalculate right. date code, make a new serial number that's the correct serial number with the correct date code in it, and then update the database. So perfectly fine. It just yeah, just more work. Just more work. Um, the uh. So yeah, all right. We're at fifty minutes, but we're going to do this one topic. We're, we're yeah, stretch going it. this week. Is what do you? Um, what do? What to do to make? That is not a, a sentence. <laughs> I'm like trying to we, read this, and I'm like, what is going on in my brain? <laughs> we we quickly wrote this topic. Uh, we, we came up with it after a, po- a podcast, after like a two podcast. weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, I think I wrote this, but I didn't write a complete sentence. So no. Sorry about that, Mark. <laughs> In fact, here I'll say it because no, I know no, I am going to. What okay. to do to make your open source project more accessible or more popular? That's okay. not proper beginning of that sentence, but okay. Yeah. Okay. With trying, those first five <laughs> words, I was just, yeah. my brain's like, wait, what is going on? <laughs> All right. How do you make, if you are starting a new project and you want to be open source, how do you make it more accessible or more popular? Which is like, yeah, what are the idea. levers you can pull? Yeah, what levers can you pull? Um, this was kind of coming off the topic of the FPGA topic we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Because um, you, you brought up like, oh, I want to use an FPGA, but I don't have a good project for it because I don't know what you would use them for. And that kind of spiraled into like open source tool chains and stuff like that. And then after the podcast, we start talking about, um, you know, building uh, FPGA projects and kind of getting to the point where like, you know, is there really like a big open source project that uses an FPGA? And there's not really one. And so we were like, why is that? You know, we basically did like an hour podcast after the podcast talking <laughs> about this topic. Um, That's and so pretty we wrote normal, this, actually. 
Yeah, so we wrote this down to talk about it a little bit. Um, so if you are want to make an open source project and want to attract other people to it to help you work on it, it's basically the idea, right? Um, and I'm actually thinking about this too with my um, the the Jeep fan controller project, which is going to change into a more generic um, uh, power management module for cars for like hot rods and stuff. Um, so, uh, so how would I make that project more accessible and more popular to people to want to work on that? One, you probably want to be like a gearhead to work on it. So it's like, okay, in that community too, in, in car community, you also have to take care of other things like, uh, to make it more accessible as well that way. And, um, so we we're talking about that's like, well, one of the things is like, if you're have a microcontroller and you're honestly not using Arduino or the Arduino microsystem or ecosystem, you're kind of really limiting the success of it being a huge open source project or finding a lot of people. Like, for example, like if I was going to use the parallax propeller for that's actually what the, the that project currently uses. I would probably find zero people that would want to work on that project. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're automatically if your goal is to have other people do it, you're automatically crippling your project by picking something that and, is not Arduino. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that's the unfortunate way about it. That's it's because for hobbyists or other people who work on open source projects, that's where people are cutting their teeth on. Right? It's Arduino. Um, the great thing is Arduino is now beyond just the 18 mega, you know, 38, uh, what? 328 P 28. Yeah. And so we've got way more powerful microcontrollers now, like the 80 mega Sam D 21s. If you can buy them, there's 102 in stock on DigiKey right now. Go get them. <laughs> um, actually, I bet you when this podcast comes out, that's going to be zero. <laughs> There's also they've had the megas the uh, the AT Mega twenty five whatever for a while. What's interesting about the megas? And that's got some more grunt behind it. Not honestly, not really. It has a lot more I/O and a lot more RAM and ROM, but peripheral wise and speed wise, not really. Um, well, speed wise, it's crippled because Arduino cripples their speed, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in general, but yeah, in terms of being able to control more things, it is just yeah. larger in that sense. I would say a Sam D twenty one is a much better microcontroller than any of those AVR based ones. Mm. Uh, like if if you're starting Arduino, get the Sam D twenty one based boards. Like those are much much better <laughs> chips. Um, much newer technology, and you get stuff like DMAs and much more modern peripherals inside your microcontroller. Um, but yes, that's so uh, on, especially on because most of your your hardware is only going to have a couple different revisions, and maybe let's say you picked Arduino, and you might get one or two people forking your hardware to make a slight change. The firmware is where most of your open source work is going to be on. And so enabling more people to work on that is going to be your key. Um, funny enough about this project or this idea of this like making it more accessible or more popular. 
is shifting gears a little bit. Um, there's a game studio, video game studio called CD Project, uh, CD Projects, and they made a video game recently called uh, Cyberpunk uh, 2077 on their own engine called the Red Engine. So it's their own uh, video game engine that they develop in house. Well, they're actually having problems maintaining developers um, because of that internal engine. Because if you go to work at, let's say if you're a video game developer and you go to work at CD Projekt Red uh, on the Red Engine, what skills you learn on that engine don't transfer to any other engine, right? Mm. Um, like Unreal. And so that company is actually going to shift off their internal engine into Unreal Engine, a different, a more industry standard engine, uh, which is a sad thing, but also like it makes sense from a personnel standpoint. Like now they can go hire another de software developer that just understands Unreal, and, and they, they can get just up like, to speed real fast. Get up to speed faster. Um, it's 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 interesting to think about that way, whereas like. Steven, you use DipTrace as your EDA tool, but if a if you went to go work at a different company and they used Altium, it wouldn't take you that long to get up to speed on Altium. But I would have to. But you would have to. So there is that pickup time. Um, I, I mean, you still got to learn like all the internal tools for that company, but um, I guess it's somewhat similar, but it's not as big of a barrier. Like you, when you... To, to you or to us as an industry. Here, here's the biggest thing about that situation, though. Like, the most in, in the world of EDA tools, most of the terminology is equivalent across uh, products. It might be called something slightly different, but they all basically do the same thing so i knew like if i if i had went to a new company it was given a board layout and i had to figure out altium right away even if i didn't know what button to click i could go to somebody and talk intelligently about what i needed to get done and they could be like oh click here to get that done i wouldn't be starting from scratch you know figuring mm -hmm. something entirely out i would know what to go say but if you go to cd and try to figure out their their entire engine from scratch, you might not know the terminology to say. It's all cryptic. You'd have to learn it from the ground up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting to think about that way. Um, Craft Lab in our Twitch chat says, uh, include build scripts and clear instructions for setting up the tool chain, or even better, um, he says Discord container, but I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be Docker container for pre-created uh, build chains, which is totally correct. That's that's the advantage if you're, let's say you're going Arduino-based, is the build, the tool chain is super easy to set up, right? So that would definitely be the case. So if you are using some really cryptic hardware or something like that, um, that's a good thing to set up, um, would be the tool chain environment. Um, yeah, that would definitely make it more popular. Like, I clicked this one thing, and now I can compile the code to make this thing work. Totally. Right, right. And, uh, and and I think that extends beyond the world of code, too, into the world of, uh, re not reality, but, like, physical uh, world. Uh, include very clear instructions on how your thing goes together. In include videos or 
or very uh, solid instructions with images on how your box, your build box assembly is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not just like step one, build thing. It's all the steps, (laughs) right? Uh, And and like a very very clearly and well-defined GitHub is probably really critical for making a more accessible and popular open source product. And... I just thought about this. It's also number. Uh, this is also super important. Don't be a dick. <laughs> that's helpful. I'd say that's actually probably the most important thing. <laughs> be be and be very helpful. This is if you want to your project to, if you want other people to help you, you need to help them get Wait. their your get their stuff working. Did you just say help me help you? In Help a different me. way. Yeah, that totally. That was manager <laughs> speak right there. But told, like, if someone is saying, I can't get this thing to compile or I can't get this thing to work, you can't just be like, it worked for me and then pull your suspenders up, right? Or say, figure it out. Yeah, don't you can't do, do that. that. That's, that'll be immediately, will kill your project off. Yep. So. Yeah, it, I, actually, if you want your... It, your project to be accessible and popular, you pretty much have to assume that everyone who's going to do it has no clue about any of the things. Yeah, you can't any assume part. anything. Can't assume it. And and the nice thing about that is, is the people who do know the things, it'll be very easy for them. Yeah. Um, so for Jeep Prop, we don't have a name for what it turns into, but I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a Raspberry Pi Pico because that seems to be the new... One, I want to learn that system. Um, mm-hmm. It also has those really cool, um, I can't remember what they're called. It's like the uh, lookup table parts of the hardware. Where like given these inputs, it will do these outputs really quickly. It's almost like ASIC FPGA lookup table-y kind of thing. I can't remember. There's yeah. a certain name for them. Um, I kind of wanted because I never used one of those. Apparently, on the Raspberry Pi as well, like the full fledged thing. I've never oh, used them, um, but the Pico's got them, so I want to learn those. And it's the new new hotness, and I'm like, and Arduino works on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure like Circuit Python also works on it. PIO, thank you, Craft Lab. That the programmable input output, I think, is what's called. Um, it's those little sub modules inside, the, uh, uh, inside of them. Um, so software wise, I actually don't know where I'm going to go because there's like, has Arduino support. It has its own C stuff that you can write and circuit Python runs on it. And I'm like, I kind of want to do it in circuit Python as kind of like a high, like as most, you know, people know, at least for scripting languages, Python is kind of like the thing. And that would be really cool to, like be able to really easily and on the fly change the configuration. Like maybe that the the Python side is the configuration of how the hardware works. Um, we'll see. Let's build the hardware first and make sure we can build the hardware. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Um, the good thing is we we touched on this topic earlier is. Parts are slowly coming back in stock, depending on what you pick. So, 
have to find a lot of MOSFETs, though, because this thing is a, another MOSFET-heavy project. So you got to control a lot of stuff. Right. So hopefully next week um, I'll have, like, a spec doc for for what it turns into. And then we have to come up with a name. Yeah, because it can't be Jeep Prop anymore. No, because it's not gonna be. It's not gonna have a parallax propeller on it anymore. Nor is it for the Jeep. <laughs> the, the the Pico Jeep. Well, it's not for the Jeep anymore. It's just a generic uh, power module now. Because there's open. I'm surprised this is not a thing yet. Because there's open source engine management um, with like Speech We know, and then kind of ish. Uh, Mega Squirt is kind of not really, I guess, not really open source, but it's open enough. Um, mm-hmm. But there's no like body control ma- uh, module slash uh, power control modules that are open source. But we will change that here on the podcast. Be, be the change you want to see. What starts here changes the world. Oh, you! Oh, that's that's right. You're you're from A and M. You know. So, uh, Stephen, um, at U- University of Texas football games, you know, he had the big like sc- screen, right? The, um, you know, like if you go to a game, like your school like advertises on that board, right? Um, so University of Texas has an ad for like. The university. I think it's like you can see this ad in like local news and stuff too, but um, it's like a camera, like drone shot of like all of Austin, right? And there's and there's they actually got the Waterburger announcer to do okay. the voiceover, so he's got that deep like like what. And so the tagline for the university, University of Texas, is what starts here changes the world. So that's what it's from. God, I'm so I'm so happy for you. It was a reference, and I had to explain that reference. <laughs> yeah, I'd have no clue about yeah. that. So, um, I miss Whataburger guy. I miss Whataburger. Well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how you live up there. You know, I actually, I, uh, this is a weird thing to talk about on the podcast, but uh, so last time I was up there for Pike's Peak. Joe, one of our friends that lives up also up there, um, brought me to a burger place. I'm like, this is the first good burger I've ever had in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard the other day that they're planning on opening six Whataburger locations in uh, Denver. So Really? Enough yeah. Texans have moved there. Well, yeah, enough Californians move here that they opened In-N-Out. So the Texans were like, we can't have just In-N-Out here. Have you had the In-N-Out there? Not once. Oh, not once. No, <gasps> mainly mainly because there's a line that's like a mile long, and I don't want to wait for that. That's that's true. Because um, there's an in and out in Austin, and I've never been to that one. Because it's the same thing. The line's like a zillion miles long. Um, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and mm. that's like one of the farthest west Whataburgers currently. I think the Denver one will be farther west. Um, they had their own special spicy ketchup. Oh, I'm jealous. New Mexico spicy. Yeah, I'm super jealous because it was, it was like good. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's spicy. So, you know what? If if Waterburger opens up in Denver, we need to go to In and Out and Waterburger on the same day. 
Oh yeah, that'd be fun. I think we yeah. could pull that off. Yeah. Do it. Do a shootout. Do it. Do a burger shootout. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Gosh, we've gone everywhere on this episode. <laughs> yeah. So let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's let's go for it. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or have a fast food burger restaurant that you prefer, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at AnalogNG, or email us at podcastmacfab.com. And if your preferred fast food burger place is not Whataburger, just... I'm sorry. Yeah. So check out our Slack channel and argue about burgers. You can find it at macfab.com slash Slack.